0: Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Hallelujah. So we're getting straight into the teaching of today. And we're going to revisit an anchor text that I've used um, for midweek service and last Sunday, and we're going to start from Philippians 1 7 once again. I'm starting from the word in so much, just in case you are reading along with me and you should. It says, In so much as both in my bonds, don't think James Bond, he's talking about chains, okay? Not James Bond, anyway, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Ye all are partakers of my grace. And I want to start by talking about partakers of grace. You see, I have established that as it pertains to global evangelism, it is not the exclusive responsibility of apostles and prophets and ministry gifts in general. It's for everyone in the church. And so Paul is writing to a church and he says, you are partakers of my grace. You partake with me in my bonds. Like we shared last Sunday, you have a responsibility to take up your chains. Alright, don't ignore any inconvenience that the gospel will bring your way. You partake partakers with me in defense. So you as a believer must also be capable and ready... To give an answer to anyone who would ask the reason of the hope that is in you. We talked about change last Sunday. We talked about defense on Wednesday, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Be ready to give an answer to those who ask the reason of the hope that is in you. And he says to do that with meekness and fear. So you should be able to give an answer. Able and ready. And today we want to talk about Confirmation. Confirmation. So you see, when Paul spoke of the gospel and its propagation, especially in this context, he spoke of it in these three regards, change, defense, and confirmation. And we're going to talk about confirmation. But first, you have to realize that the words defense and confirmation are judicial terms. And by that, I mean these are terms that will apply in the courtroom in some shape or form. So you will hear the word defendant's. the courtroom who is a defendant a defendant is a person or an institution that is accused or sued he's brought to court to answer such a person is brought to court to answer all right so that's a defend defendant so um when paul talks about defense he's talking about having to give an a, a reply to an accusation Give a reply to an accusation. I told you the Greek word translated defense is apologia. And it actually means to give a reply. That's the literal meaning. To give a reply. Alright? And the word confirmation actually means to witness under oath. So you are a defendant and you're brought to the stand. And you're interrogated and every response you give is under oath. So that's what confirmation means. To say something under oath. To speak the truth. All right? And dispel every lie and doubt. To bring clarity to a situation, to a context, to a question. You see that word used in Hebrews chapter 6? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16. It says, For men will men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation. See that word confirmation? An oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. And this is what he's saying. He's talking about how legal systems work. He says, many people make an oath for confirmation. And that confirmation is the end of all strife. For instance, in some legal systems, if they ask you, what's your name? And you say, your name is Emmanuel Iren, Well, they say, um, how do we know that your name indeed is Emmanuel Iren? And then we come to a consensus. And they say, go swear an affidavit. So the moment there is an affidavit, all right, in King James terms, there is an end to all strife. So now they know without a shadow of doubt that my name indeed is Emmanuel Iren. All right. And that's what he's talking about here. So the idea of confirmation is to so establish the truth until all doubt is eradicated. It's to so establish the truth until all doubt is eradicated. For instance, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 19 of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And um, the miraculous signs that occurred there to attest to the authenticity of his ministry. The Bible tells us of a story of the seven sons of Sceva. <laughs> how these guys, they had heard of Paul and how he expelled demons. And um, so they thought it was just about the way he said it and how he said it. And so they tried it. Meanwhile, mind you, they were not Christians. They were not believers. Because if they were believers, it would have worked. Because the Bible says, this sign shall follow them that believe they shall cast out devils. Okay? So I'm saying that because some people read the sons of Skeva story and they're afraid in their mind that if they try to cast out devils, the devils will say, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Emmanuel, I know. Who are you? That's never going to happen. All right, you're in Christ. If anyone should say, who are you? Say, I'm in Christ. Hallelujah. (laughs) You never stand before a demon by your own merit. You stand in the name of the Lord. Don't forget, he says, in my name they shall cast out devils. All right? But these guys, they didn't know the Lord. They were not born again. And they just tried to do it. And guess what? The sons of Sceva beat them. Or the demons, the the, the demon-possessed person pounced on them and beat them. And they had to flee. But the Bible tells us, that because of that, the popularity of the gospel spread. Everybody heard that demons know of Jesus, demons know of Paul, and they didn't know of anyone else who was not in Christ. And so that aided the popularity of of Paul's ministry there, along with other miraculous signs and all of that. And now, the Bible eventually told us in Acts chapter 19 verse 20, it says, so, I like so, meaning as a result of all of this, so mightily grilled the word of God. I like the fact that he talked about growth. The growth of the word, as if the word is, is a person that can grow in height. Or, you know, grow in span. So mightily grew the word. What does it mean, so mightily grew the word? How can the word grow? He's talking about the influence of the word. The influence of the word can increase. So mightily grew the word of God until it prevailed. Oh, glory to God. How do we know the word of God prevailed? Because when Paul first got there, these guys were idol worshippers. All right, but because of Paul's ministry, the Bible says people brought all their idols and they threw them away. People brought all their books, all their satanic and occult books, all their books of curious arts, and they threw them into fire. So much so that the silversmiths who were responsible for making the idols began to lose their money. Because people were not coming. That's to tell you how wide and how great the influence of the gospel in that city became because of Paul's ministry. So it grew. It covered, it started from one home and then it covered a vicinity, became popular in the vicinity until in the nooks and crannies of Ephesus, everyone knew. Everyone knew. About Paul's ministry. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. It means the idea of the gospel, the truth of the gospel became the prevalent religious thoughts in that vicinity. When we look at predominantly Christian nations in the world, they weren't always like that. They weren't always like that. The reason why any country becomes predominantly Christian is because people filled with the Spirit and committed to the Great Commission went faithfully to see to it that the gospel prevailed in those cities. I said all of that to say this. The theme of the month is global evangelism and One thing you must do this month is to throw away small thinking. Small thinking. Don't just stay in one corner of the world with 500 members and be satisfied. Can I tell you something? If you don't see the Great Commission with the lenses of the scripture, you will be easily satisfied. Why is it that a lot of ministries, they grow to a certain certain point and they play too? It's because somewhere, subconsciously, you know, they just wanted to come to a point where, you know, they had a decent venue and decent equipment, you know. Can, Can I tell you something? Our drive will not be where it is ought to be if the Great Commission is not our motive. not our goal so mightily grew the word of God until it prevailed until it dominated that's our goal not just to have a mega church somewhere and be satisfied I'm thinking in my city where is the gospel so I'm thinking, listen, I, for, for, for the writer to say this, it, it tells you the kind of mentality he had. He's more, more or less checking the pulse of the city to check the temperature of the gospel. What's the effect of the gospel on this city? And then he checked and says, Ah, this thing grew. This thing prevailed. Kalamadara batale menoko manaya. May the word of God grow mightily and prevail in our day. Oh, may it grow mightily. Hallelujah. May it increase ever so richly and dominate in our day. This should be your mentality. This was the mentality in the early church. Otherwise, this verse would not have been put in this way. This is so important. Same thoughts in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 1. It says, Finally brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. I wish I had more time to talk on that. Free course and be glorified. What does it mean glorified? And be honored. So, It has to grow in influence. And be honored in your city. Be honored on social media. Be honored. The word of God can grow in influence. Until you see that predominantly. Everywhere you look. The word of God is honored there. He says this is something to pray about. Not just for free course. But for glorification and honor. Of the word of God. It's something to pray about. So this is is our goal. In your city. In your school. This is your goal. This is your goal. Not that we have 50 people. Can I tell you something? Some Christians tend to be so small minded. And that's not to say. We know the value of an individual soul. Hallelujah. But make no mistake. The Bible was particular about numbers. The more the merrier. God will have all men saved. All men saved. And so you are mandated to have all men saved. Thank God for 10, but we want all. Thank God for 1,000, but we want all. Thank God for 10,000, but we want all. Thank God for 50,000. We want all. When our church has 20,000 members, we will still want more. Not because, you know, we want to feel among the top churches who are dealing with souls, we want the word of God to prevail. We want to fill every stadia. Propagate this message on every platform available. Thank you, Jesus. It says to pray that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you. It's something to pray about. It's something to wish for. All right. It's something I I, I I I if I had more time I would have shown you how those two words were used interchangeably. All right. It's a desire to have, a burning desire to have. So this is important. Paul speaks of confirmation of the gospel. And that's what we're talking about. In general terms, defense is concerned with convincing naysayers, convincing unbelievers. Confirmation is concerned with strengthening believers. I'll take that again. Defense is concerned with convincing naysayers. Confirmation is concerned with strengthening believers. However, there is confirmation in defense, and then there is defense in confirmation. And I'm not trying to confuse you. I'll explain what I'm saying. When you are defending the gospel, there is a confirmation in that defense. Because confirmation, as I defined it, is to say something, you know, under oath. I mean, that's, that's what it means in, in, in court all right but to eradicate every doubt eradicate every doubt i'm going to tell you how mainly by repetition all right so you have to say it again and again and again to rebuttrace what you had been saying before in defense many times you will have to do it twice three times 10 times So there is a confirmation in defense. You can establish your case in defense. But there is also a defense in confirmation. So when you're talking to believers, for instance, sometimes (laughs) history has it that some falsehood will creep into the minds of people. Creep into the hearts of people, and you will have to do a defense to reconfirm what you first taught them. So, many times you have to do apologetics for people who already believe. In fact, most of Paul's defense was in confirmation for believers, the entire book of Galatians was a defense. But he defended to confirm, to strengthen, to establish. This is so important. And someone says, how come both of them um, are interchangeable? Well, let me put it to you this way. Like I said, in more general terms, they are different. But strictly and theologically speaking, they are the same. They are the same. Let me quickly show you a principle in the Bible, or or a principle of Bible interpretation. It is called Granville Sharp's Rule. Listen, it's confusing, all right, potentially confusing, but you're going to get it. I'm going to explain it in as simple terms as I can, all right? It is also called TSKS Principle, TSKS Principle. And let me start by giving you an example. Once I give you the example, you're going to get it. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But when it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking about the same person. God is also Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking about two people. One is God and one is Father. <laughs> no. Blessed be the God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, in normal English terms, if you, if you saw a sentence like that, you might make the mistake of thinking he's talking about two different people. Oh, there are two people. It's God and His Father. But Bible students know that he was talking about the same person because of the TSKS principle. What is the TSKS principle? T stands for definite article, the, you know, T H E. When it's a definite article, English students know you're referring to the. All right? So, first and foremost, TSKS is just the way a sentence is arranged. It's an order of arrangement. So when you see first and foremost in a sentence, you see definite article, the. And then next, S, stands for substantive. What's substantive? I could have said noun, you know, but substantives, and um, this is not an English class, but we need to do this. Substantives are nouns, pronouns, and any other expression that can be reflected as such. Nouns, pronouns. Okay, in this, in the example I gave you, so you have, "Bless be the." That's T, right? God, that's a noun. So that's substantive, right? Let's go on. The next letter we're talking about is K. K stands for Kai. You know, no, not um, kick against indiscipline in Lagos. <laughs> Kai is actually um, Greek word for the English conjunction and, A-N-D, all right? And in Greek is Kai. So in a sentence arrangement, when you have definite article and next after it, you have substantive, that's a noun or pronoun, and next after it, you have a conjunction, specifically and, which in this place is called chi in the Greek. All right, and then you have a substantive. Anytime you see that arrangement, definite article, noun or pronoun or anything instead, and noun or pronoun or anything instead, then it falls under this category. Simply, it means that you are not referring to two different people or things, but you are describing the same thing two different ways. Two nouns or substantives connected by and with the first of the noun preceded by a definite article will be referring to the same person or the same thing. So when you say the God and Father, you are referring to the same person. all right, Or the same thing. So in this context, we read Philippians 1-7, right? And it says, In so much as both in my bonds and in... The defense and confirmation. So that tells you the defense is also confirmation. There is a defense in confirmation. You have to understand. To build people up, you must tear some things down. So what a way to confirm the word of God in the hearts of people. Establish the word of God in the hearts of people without tearing falsehood down. So in building, we tear down. No wonder Jesus said, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted shall be rooted out. You see, Jesus in his teaching ministry knew he was coming to eradicate every falsehood that was prevalent in his day. He was coming to eradicate it. He wasn't manging words about it. Can I tell you something? If we are too political, we will not be effective. Like Charles Spurgeon said, peace if possible, truth at all costs. You can't be too bothered about how truth is said, as important as presentation is, when people are dying. Do you know the effect of falsehood on people? You should be more bothered and concerned about the effects of falsehood being left to linger. Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted shall be rooted out. Peace if possible, truth at all cost. We must have a church that is bold to speak the truth. We must be a church that is bold to speak the truth. So very quickly, I want to talk about how to confirm the gospel. How to confirm the gospel. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 2, from verse 1 to 3. Hebrews chapter 2, from verse 1 to 3. It says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them sleep. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Which at the first, he talked about salvation, which at the first began to be spoken of by the Lord and was confirmed. What does it mean confirmation in this this context? It means to say the same thing again. The Lord said it and every other apostle said the same thing. That's confirmation. So the first way to confirm the gospel is through repetition. Listen, we must repeat this thing. There has to be a frequency to it to be effective. So it's not enough, you know, to just put one caption once in a year or on your birthday when you put, you know, a special birthday photo shoot which everybody does these days. All right. I'm not looking at anyone in the studio. Joy, please. How are you? All right. So which everybody does these days. (laughs) But that's not that's not enough. All right, like every member of our church has been doing, I believe you must do frequently. There has to be a frequency to it, consistently. Like I showed you, you know, on Sunday, no Midweek service, how you know um, Paul told the leaders in Ephesus. He says, "Remember that for three and a half years I did not cease." night and day to warn you with the gospel, with tears. You only get to establish a truth that you repeat. With repetition is emphasis. It takes emphasis for the gospel to prevail. It takes emphasis for the gospel to be established. Emphasize it. There has to be a frequency to it. This is so important. You say it repeatedly. Hallelujah. Can I tell you something? You have every permission in the Lord to annoy everybody about uh, about the gospel. (laughs) Let them know that you, you talk about it all the time. Talk about it all the time. Talk about it in the morning. Talk about it in the afternoon. Talk about it in the evening. Talk about it on Facebook. Talk about it on Twitter. Talk about it on Instagram. Talk about it in your office. Talk about it in school. Talk about it with your family. Talk about it with your siblings. Talk about it with your enemies. Talk about it with your friends. If you want to see the gospel established, we have to be repetitive. It is true repetition that the gospel got to us. The generation before us was faithful to pass it down to us. They were faithful enough to ensure that it won't die in their day. Number two, how to confirm the gospel? Popularity. Popularity. I cannot stress this enough. Listen, this month I'm going to have, there's a service we're going to carve separately and specifically to teach on social media, propagating the gospel through social media. It's a training every member of this church must have. You have to understand, this is the major way any information spreads in the world. Any information worth sharing. And guess what? There is still nothing in the world worth sharing more than the gospel. Nothing. Nothing deserves more attention, more likes, more shares, more comments than the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that. You have to develop a discipline. When you see a post, don't just say, hmm, very nice. If it's about the gospel, like. Comment. If possible, comment twice. Because when you do so, someone else is more likely to see it. Someone else is more likely to see it. It's important that, that the gospel goes viral. That's why we keep telling you Sundays and Wednesdays. All right. Always always put the hashtag Pastor Aaron said, social media, Twitter, you know, get it trending. Not because we want to feel among, not because the gospel needs to go out there. How dare anybody have an issue with that? Listen, someone went to a reality TV show, and I say this respectfully. Someone went to a reality TV show came out from the show, and I'm not going to, I have more comments, but came out from the show and (laughs) started trending every day on Twitter. And that's none of my business. But I'm just saying, now you have a message that can save lives. It wasn't difficult for such a person who just went to a reality TV show to gather a faithful following. But you, to claim that Jesus Christ is your Lord, get the gospel viral. The gospel should trend every day. So maybe what the media team is asking us to do is not even enough. Maybe we should get the gospel trending every day. We should think of how to do it. Maybe after morning prayers, we would, for no reason, even if it's just a text, a verse in the scripture, So it's important you have a part to play, a role to play in making sure the gospel stays popular. Make it popular. It's not a secret. It's the Great Commission. It's good news. Not good secret. Good news. All right? Next thing I want to talk about, third way to get or to confirm the gospel is... Strength and stability. Strength and stability. In fact, the Greek word confirmation, as it appears in Philippians 1 7, actually means stabilization. Stabilization. And this is what I mean. You see, there are certain truths that try to creep into the church, all right, and make the convictions of people unstable. You know why we talk about shaking tables? Make the convictions of people unstable. Your heart begins to shake. Your convictions begin to shake. All right? But with confirmation, we stabilize the truth. With, co- with, 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 with confirmation, we stabilize the truth. And I mean this both on a personal and on a corporate level. All right? The truth can be stabilized in a vicinity. Stabilized in a community. It can grow in influence and enrich. So you have to always check the pulse of your city. What are they emphasizing? What are they listening to? And if the gospel is not trending, is not dominating, that city is out of order. Bring stability to your city by Confirmation. By emphasizing the gospel. Helping it grow in strength and popularity and stability. This is important. I want to see um, the way these languages were used in the Bible. Look at Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. I'll read verse 6 and 7. Galatians 1 verse 6 and 7. It says, I marvel that you are soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another but there be some that trouble you you see trouble you you see that word it, like they, they, they're shaking your conviction to unsettle your conviction it says there, there be some that trouble you and would pervert the pervert the gospel of christ So Paul had the responsibility, you know, once or twice the Bible tells us that he went from church to church, strengthening churches. How did he strengthen them? He didn't take them to a gym. (laughs) He just kept sharing the word of God with them. As he kept doing that, he kept strengthening them. But the opposite also applies. The more the church is exposed to falsehood, the more the conviction of the church continues to win. It it continues to recede. All right? So it's not just about investing in the right knowledge. It's also about, like I told you, we build by tearing down. There are some things we have to tear off and cut off. I've told you time and again you can't read every book, you can't listen to any sermon. The Bible says to guard your heart with all diligence employ a guard to stand in front of the gates of your heart. It says, because out of it are the issues of life. It doesn't matter what you want to say, what you want to do. It is the quality of your investment in your heart that will direct your thoughts and your words and your actions. You don't control thoughts with thoughts. It is what you pay attention to that will regulate the thoughts that you think. You can change your dreams by cha- changing what you pay attention to. If you watch football too much, you will dream of football. If you, why is it that Peter was hungry in Acts chapter 10 and when he slept and God wanted to speak to him in the dream, God used food to speak to him? You think it's, a, it's an accident? <laughs> your attention and your desires, all right, will regulate your experience, even your spiritual experience. This is so important. So he tells the church at Galatia in chapter 5 verse 12, that's another text, chapter 5 verse 12, Galatians 5 verse 12, it says, I would, they would even cut off which trouble you. It says, it's my desire, cut them off. I'm giving this as a prophetic instruction. you know, There are some people you listen to you just won't be sure of tongues anymore as a gift. You just won't be sure of charismatic ministry as a gift. Cut them off! Some people you listen to, you are no more sure if salvation is by grace through faith alone. Cut them off! Attention begets desire. Anything you pay attention to, you begin to desire. This Also applies to overcoming temptations. Cut off. Any inconsistent, anything that is not wholesome, cut it off. All right? But it's so important. It's so important. Because everything that has the privilege of thriving with repetition will be established. That's the simple principle of confirmation. You see... Everyone who has tried to take over the world understands this principle. Hitler was found to have said, or quoted to have said, if a lie would be told often enough, it would soon be, li- be believed true. If a lie would be told often enough, it would soon be believed true. You know, I had a very funny experience when I was growing up, um, we had this photo shoot in my house. My dad has always been the kind of person who wants us to have family photo shoots during Christmas, and we would all dress up nice and neat, corporate suits. I'd always loved suits, even as a child. I was born into it. All right, even as a child, I had suits of all colors—green, red, white, blue—I had them all. Bow ties, ties, and all of that. I was born into it. <laughs> And there was this particular photo shoot we had. I was very young, but I have a relatively vivid memory of my childhood. Those of you who have followed me for a while know about that. And they brought this light, very unique um, brownish shirt for me. And I wore that shirt on a slightly darker tie, all right? And we took a picture. Not too long after... Barbers began to put pictures, you know, in the barbing salon. And one of them was of a a young boy who looked like me, had the same type of my my haircut, had a similar smile, and wore a brown shirt. And I think one of my relatives trying to tease me said, ah, look, that's you. And I looked, I was very young. So I was like, yes, it's me. And from that day, every time I went to the salon, you know, even if it was not that person who was with me, that particular relative, I'll point at that picture and say, oh, look, that's me. (laughs) And the person will say, yes, it's you. Because, you know, they, they, they didn't want to be rude, to bust the bubble of a young child. And it kept happening and happening and happening until I grew up and I knew better. But I sincerely believed that that was me, that my picture had gone viral, and every child in the world wanted my type of haircut. <laughs> it was convenient to believe, and I was sold on it. Until one day I was talking to my mom, and I said, oh, you know, that's my picture, you know, that is in every salon in Nigeria. And, and she was like, no, there's, there's no such picture. And I was, I was offended, like, why would you say no? Have you been there? Do you call to her? I'm telling you my picture. And she's like, no. <laughs> you know, I was a serious thing until not long after I went to another salon and I saw the same picture. <laughs> and it wasn't me. I felt too embarrassed, you know, and all of that. But I said all that to say this. If you tell a lie often enough, it will be perceived to be truth. Can I tell you something? The world knows this. And so when they set up their attacks against the truth of the gospel, they know that with consistency, doubt will be established. They're just after doubt. They just want to bring doubt. Many people who are agnostic or even atheists it's not as if they have it all figured out and they are sure. They've done this set, the, um, Detailed research and they know there is no God. There is no such research, of course. But, but circumstances or people have just successfully established doubt in their hearts. That's why. That's why. That's why. Let me give you an example. If someone comes to you and gives you an unsolicited News about someone. and said, ah, do you know that guy? Hmm. I heard that he stole money from the office two weeks ago. Now, if it's someone you know, you will likely say, oh, no, I know him. He can't do that. But guess what? If you're not careful, depending on how persuasive the person is, when you are walking away, <laughs> doubts would have been put in your heart. You'd be like, why would he do such a thing? And you know, you know the painful part? Many times we don't even have the courtesy of bringing it to the person's knowledge to say, you know what, I heard this about you, is it true? Because usually the people who share those kind of news will say, don't tell him, I promise you won't say it. You know. So now you're walking around, and in fact the relationship has become awkward because you're greeting the person, how are you? And in your mind you're like, you thief. <laughs> Isn't that how it happens? And many times you're like, no, he wouldn't do such a thing. And the person says, Ah, is he not working in this company? You say, Yeah, he works in that company. Does he not drive this car? Oh, yes, he drives this car. Is he not from this hometown? Yes. Because the logic is: if I tell you five true statements and the sixth statement is a lie, you are more likely to believe it. It's behavioral science. And they have cheated the church out of a lot because of what I'm just telling you. You have to be discerning. And not just discerning so that you can stop the lies, but also so that you can propagate the truth. Bring stability and strength to the gospel through repetition. Even lies prevail with repetition. How much more the truth of God's word. If the people telling lies... Are more repetitive, lies will prevail. You have to understand this. What is this little light of mine? No, it's not meant to be little. It's not meant to be little. Shout it on the mountaintops, sing about it in the valley, climb on the roof, and let the whole world know. If you don't talk, People will suffer. The truth will be forgotten. Like I said, it's true both on a personal level and on a corporate level. On a personal level, the Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ, there is a quality to the impact of the word that God expects in your heart. Let it dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So it, it must gain strength in you. It must gain ascendancy in you. Otherwise, you know, you are susceptible to every light that is out there. Every lie that the market has to sell. Let it dwell in you richly. Jesus told the parable, you know, about the sower and seed. Seed being symbolic of the word of God. And he says, some fell... On a soil, you know, that had not much earth. He says, and it sprang up, but because it had no depth of earth, all right, it was short-lived. And it just tells you the urgency with which we must ensure that the disciples in the body of Christ are deeply rooted. Even if you know it, hear it again. You've heard it, hear it again. Repetition is the principle of emphasis. Emphasis is the principle of conviction. So important. And the fourth thing, which is my major point for today. Just in case you don't know, the theme of this sermon is actually Olympia. And I will tell you why. The fourth way to confirm the word of God is to compete. A lot of Christians don't know this. You don't know this. You are meant to compete with the truth of God's word. You have to understand there is an opposition out there. The enemy has a truth, also, his truth. Of course, he's a liar and the father of lies. All right, but he's trying to infiltrate your culture with his lies. So there is a competition whether you are conscious of it or not. And so you must tell the truth of God's word in such a way that is competitive. It must be more compelling than the opposition. It must. It must. A lot of people don't know this. Let me share some verses with you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24. I want you to open to that text. 1 Corinthians nine, twenty-four. This is what it says. It says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives a prize, so run that he may obtain. Now Paul is talking about ministry and the commitment to ministry. And he uses you know the illustration. Of a race. Guess what? There were races in those days. Sporting events in those days. He says, the same way many run a race, but only one receives the prize. He says, run that you may obtain. Hey, listen. Listen, children of God. Listen to me. He's saying, as, as it pertains to ministry, it's good that you Run and now you're feeling like a faithful and loyal servant because you're running, but it's not enough to run. He says, run to win. Run to obtain. The same way everybody who is running a sprint knows only one person will receive the gold medal. He says, this will be your mentality in ministry. I'm running to win. We're in a battle for souls, a battle for our country, a battle for the hearts of men. He called us fishers of men. Everything that we do should be with the mentality to catch men. It must be captivating. Hallelujah. You see, when you put a hook in the ocean, all right, there must be something on that hook that is compelling enough to drive a fish to it. No hook just, no no fish just sees a hook and knows that that thing is going to kill it and just goes there. That's not how it works. No fish sees a net and just walks into it. It has to be compelling. It has to be compelling. Run to win. Preach to win. Sing to win. He says, Every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. His oh glory to God. He's using sporting events to teach you. Have you seen athletes? They don't eat just anything. Everything about their life is regulated. There is a time to wake up. They wake up 4 a.m., they hit the gym, and they have consistent routines, amount of water to drink, you know, and they're jumping on the scale to see their body weight, you know, to check, they have all kinds of analysis. Think about it, that an athlete would rehearse and practice for four years to run a race that will last 15 seconds. I'm talking about the 100 meter dash. Four years preparation for 15 seconds. And so every time he wakes up in that four years, and as he's going to bed, just one thing is on his mind a medal. Every time his friends just give him junk food, you know, offer him junk food, he says no because he's thinking about the medal. The Bible says, He that strives for mastery, listen, oh, matarabatakashete ribenige. If you have a goal for the gospel, you will be temperate in all things, it will control your propensities, your desires, it will control everything about you. You will be intentional. And now he's saying, they do this to obtain a corruptible crown. Hallelujah. Gold is corruptible. It might not fade in 10 and 20 years and there, thereabouts, but everything that the world has to offer will still be destroyed. It says, but you incorruptible. If using bold can go the length for gold medal, And for the applause of men, how much more you. Listen, what can you do to hear God say, well done? We're talking about global evangelism. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to do? You see, there were Olympic games in Bible days they were not called olympics all right but the modern day olympics they have been fashioned according to older games all right games as old as between 776 bc to 393 ad all right this was before jesus was born and a great while after and modern day olympics only started 1894 all right so um so it included foot races and all of that and Paul used these races alright Paul was such a good preacher he used things that people could relate to to preach the gospel so now he using a race to tell a minister of the gospel the kind of passion that he must have and that's very profound that's very profound I want to read another text to you Jude chapter 1 another allusion to Christian games Jude verse 3 it says beloved when I gave all diligence to write unto you of common salvation it was needful for me to write you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend That you should earnestly contend. This is another allusion to Grecian games. Eh, contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Contend. Fight to win. Compete to win. When Jesus said, Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted shall be rooted out. That's competition. He knows that there is a teaching in the church that is not accurate and he's saying I am building this one to trump that not because I feel like I'm better than anyone else but because all men deserve to know the truth of God's word the church must stop blinking in the dark if we are going to impact the world we must tell this message in every platform that matters they can't just out anymore you have to be interested in the spread of this message many church folks are so silly they don't know any better they are competing with other churches that's not your competition your competition is with the falsehood out there the songs that contradict the gospel that's competition And like I told you, during the midweek service, you must have a godly paranoia that will make you, you know, put your hand on the pulse of the city to say, how much traction is the gospel gaining? And so when you turn on the TV and you see that the rave of the whole country is one song with lyrics that can destroy the destiny of children, you don't just look away. And everybody is fascinated by the beat, but you cannot do that and so you start thinking how do we respond what do we do what are our singers doing how can i support the gospel artists how can i support the gospel because you you have to have a sense of responsibility a sense of competition it's just like in a football game when your team scores now you have to score two if you win if you win the game you have to do twice as much There is a small mindset that many churches have that will not get the job done. Small. And because we are not trained, we expect churches to be small. You know, there are some equipment you buy. In some, some, some people, when you buy LED screens, they're like, ah, is it not too expensive? Guess what? Because of the pandemic in the world right now, people cannot gather for games and so when the football games resumed i saw something that almost exploded my mind because la liga cannot have people in the stands watching the game you know what they did they covered the entire stretch of the stands i'm talking about seats that could sit Um, On a normal day, 60,000 people, they covered it with LED screens and they projected, you know, people's heads, you know, just to make it as realistic as possible. They projected on it and they were putting soundtrack, you know, when someone scores, there there will be a sound saying, go. The same LED that, you know, a church will buy small and be happy. It's not about LED screens. But I said all of that to say this. Think about the mentality that those people have that would have made them do what they did to say, you know what? Um the quality of our delivery must not change. They have put so much premium, so much importance on football that they said, you know what? We cannot leave the stands empty. We will cover it. you know, maybe you don't understand how expensive that thing is. And people are lavish when it comes to fun, to entertainment. But when it comes to fighting for mindshare, you don't understand. Football is a competition. That, I love football. All right. If you're a guy and don't love football, I, I'm praying for you, you know. You know. Um, so, but, but when it all comes down to it, You have to understand that there are many things that occupy the minds of people that have not given them the space to contemplate the gospel as deeply as they should. Every such thing is a competition. And when you see the length that other people are going for a corruptible crown, it should stir you up for more. Let me tell you something. We're going to preach this gospel, and we will do it big. Someone says, oh, it doesn't really matter. All all that matters is the gospel. That's more reason why you must have the equipment. If it doesn't matter, why won't you have it? That's why, if it doesn't matter, then have it. In fact, it is for the mere fact that it doesn't matter, we must have it. Why should something so inconsequential hinder us from preaching? I call it right use of means. It is because it doesn't matter. That's why we must have it. So that what matters will prevail. We must create platforms. Listen to me. Every intelligent Christian listening to this sermon, we must create platforms for the gospel to prevail. Start using your intelligence. All right? Many of these folks have an agenda behind all their innovation. No one is talking about Netflix, what Netflix is doing. Virtually every movie has a gay scene now. Do you think that's an accident? What are we doing? What what has been your response when you saw that trend? How are our gospel movies doing? What are you going to do? Listen, I have plans I'm going to share with you. But first, I just wanted to stir your heart with this sermon. Let the word of God grow mightily and prevail. I'm going to end with a text. Turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Man Tarabatalabash. Verse 4. It says for the weapons of our warfare. He's talking about his preaching. He called it a warfare. He called it warfare. He called it a weapon. Listen, this is war. This is war. This is not a game. The worst thing that can happen to a country is to be at war and not know. When an enemy is strategizing to disconfit you and you don't even know it, you are at a disadvantage. If you are not at war, know for sure that they are at war. The war, the, The world is at war. They are warring to silence the influence of the gospel. It says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's our goal. Our goal is to have the gospel as the greatest mind share in every mind. It must occupy the greatest space. And every thought that stands erect against the gospel from TV shows, from any, any advert or any such thing, we must pull it down. Someone sent me a video and there is this ad that that pops up on on some children's channels and the ad, you know, talks about adult stuff, you know, um, same-sex marriage and, you know, and all of that trying to sensitize the children and guess what the people who brought this to our knowledge noticed that those videos never pop up when it's the parents watching so somehow they they use maybe facial recognition or all of that but it will never pop up when they're watching it's only when the children are alone with their tabs that it will pop up if you are not at war let me tell you for sure the devil is at war with you and you have to respond you have to respond so I I just want you to be stirred up to do something, use the platform that the Lord has given you to propagate this message, let the gospel spread through you, just pray in the spirit wherever you are